You know, the blonde is very small in the chest area, yeah. but she's well for it. She looks like a little doll. A Barbie, Barbie doll. <laughs> right. Of course, Mike, I know you're a pig like me. Okay, let me see yes. this game. I just want to say that this is 100% a Pac-Man ripoff. Speak of so many things and making a kind of variety of the program. It requires a lot of different facts of life that we must know about. And when you think about the various nations of the earth, the various religions of the earth, various nationalities, the various people all over the world. We have been able to make anything that we want to make and do anything we want to do. Have created miracles. But it don't make sense when we can't make peace. You know, you made everything else. Wise men, great men, from every nation in the world, all the countries in the world, have all kinds of conventions and festivals. Spend all the money. Suppose you had to spend half as much money on trying to make peace as you have been making war. We wouldn't have to worry about nothing. But it don't make sense. It don't make sense. It don't make sense. When you can't make peace. Morning Mutineers. The B here. And no, it don't make no sense.
that it don't make sense, you can't make One man's heart and make another man live. You even go to the moon and come back thrilled. While you can crash. The matter of we But it don't make sense You can't make peace You know it don't make sense You know it don't make sense. You know it don't make sense. When you came, when you came. There's no such thing as a was a great Willie Dixon. Don't make sense if you can't make peace.
Good morning, mutineers. It's labor and love. You turn to mutiny, you're tuned to mutiny radio. Our physical presence is here in the mission, in Mero Mero, the heart of the mission. 21st in Florida, 2781 21st Street to be exact. You're tuned in to the Labor and Love Show. And this is The B, a.k.a. Bill Morgan. A show by, for, and about working people. Labor news, labor opinion, labor commentary, and labor history. Labor and Love Radio, where it's always Labor Day. If one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. If you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table where you work, you're on the menu. Never but never let anyone into your heart who is not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Yes, this is Labor and Love Radio, where the labor meets the road. Our opening set there. Just the most recent was a Cherry Poppin' Daddies with a classic... rendition of a song called Zoot Suit Riot The Cherry Poppin' Daddies Who's that whispering in the trees It's two sailors and they're on the pipes and chains and swinging hands Who's your daddy? Yes I am Fat Cat came to play Now he can't run fast enough You had better stay away when the pushers come to shove Zoot Suit Riot, throw back a bottle of beer. Zoot Suit Riot, pull a comb through your back, your black hair. Whipped up jitterbugging brown-eyed man, a stray cat fronting up an eight-piece band. Cut me, Sammy, and you'll understand my veins. Hot music ran. You got me in a sway, and I want you to swing your dove down the sailor's nose. Where your women come for love. More on the zoot, quote-unquote, zoot suit riots a little later. The naivete of some people who thought that uh, racism in America was dead and buried. When everybody knows that every chance it gets, it rears its ugly head, i.e., our president and his administration. Before that morning in America, and I want to thank Vita Ramirez for that one, introducing me to that band. The uh, Indications, Ron Jones and the Indications, and the song was Morning in America. And uh, talking about the kind of dreariness, you know, the sameness of uh, existence. In this case, in the uh, inner city ghetto, and about two kids who get good news. Morning in America, but I ain't seen the dawn. 
And before that, of course, one of the favorites on Labor and Love, the great, great Willie Dixon, conscientious objector, peace activist, giant of the blues scene with uh, It Don't Make Sense If You Can't Make Peace. It don't make sense if you can't make peace. Willie Dixon. So this is the Labor and Love Show. What do we got today? Labor history. History of labor actions on this day or this week. The nation's first strike. Did I read that correctly? History of the working class. First documented labor strike in San Francisco occurred when Chinese laborers demanded a raise while working on the Parrot Block Granite Building. First strike in California history. Truth Out Stories. Workers with disabilities are making cents per hour and it's legal. GOP paid min millions to operatives who pushed census question aimed to help whites. The Central Park Five, a little more about those as uh, Ava DuVernay was on... Uh, on um, Democracy Now!, talking about a new film that she made. The Economic Policy Institutes read on the chances that young people have, graduates, to find good jobs. And we've got our labor beat story is about the first actor's equity, uh, American Airlines threatening the bloodiest, ugliest battle in labor history. What have unions done for the working class? Why you should never use a self-checkout. And on and on. In these times, will there be a teacher strike in Mississippi? Come on, Mississippi. Have to see about that one too. Radio Labor, of course, our worldwide labor report. Then a little um, video about the Zoot Suit riots. A little audio about the Zoot Suit quote unquote riots an incident in American history that was immortalized by um, Zoot Suit, the musical by Luis Valdez. Morning in America. Let's play another one by them. Okay, let's see. I kind of like that, like I say, morning in America.
This one is called, Is It Any Wonder? Watch the NBA Finals.
news Tell me of front page news Sing me of strikes and last minute headlines Dress your observation in syncopation Sing me a song with social significance There's nothing else that will do It must get hot with what is what Or I won't love you I want a song that's satirical Putting the mirror into miracle And that was Rosemarie June, a song we haven't we used to play all the time on this show, but haven't lately to talk about the type of music you'll hear on Labor and Love Radio. Music of social significance, sure. Love love songs too, but music of social significance. For that um, we had the indications, okay, uh, is it any wonder, and before that we had Sam Cooke, Sam Cooke with his uh, lovely, beautiful, militant song, A Change Is Gonna Come. I hope it I hope it does come. It hasn't come yet. America is as racist as ever. As racist as a country that started out counting Indians and blacks as three fifths of a person. As racist as a country that took over <clears throat> almost half the surface area of its of the territory of its neighbor and consigned all those people who had been citizens of Mexico to becoming second-class citizens in the United States, cheating them out of their land. So, yeah, we're just as racist as ever when our president can get up and say and do the things he's been saying. We're as racist as ever. We haven't really moved. There is a large part of America. Let's talk about one issue. One issue is in Wisconsin, the governor wanted to allow LGBT groups to fly the rainbow flag. 
on Stonewall Day. And the governor said, and Mr. Trump and his government immediately came out and said, no one can fly the rainbow flag at any U.S. area uh, government um, institution. And it, it just kind of shows you that uh, America, there are a lot of people who think that America was just made for certain people. White males. We could go on, of course. But we're going to talk about a major episode of racism in America uh, later on when we discuss the... Uh, the so-called riots, the zoot suit riot. Imagine they call it a riot. Radio Labor coming up next. This is our World Labor Report produced by Radio Labor. This is Solidarity News on Radio Labor. Solidarity this is a Radio Labor Global Report recorded on Friday, June 7th, 2019. I'm Mark Belanger. In the report this week, thousands of unionizing Delta workers get insulted. A unique partnership to improve garment worker wages. The Labor Start report about union events and singing. Let's work together. Come on, come on, let's work together. This is Radio Labor. Thousands of ground workers at Delta Airlines in the United States are trying to win a union election, which could see them joining the International Association of Machinists, the IAM. In the latest attack on the workers' right to choose a union without coercion, the company has been distributing leaflets, which tell the workers not to join the union, but instead save the money they would spend on union dues to buy beer or video games. In reaction, the union put out a video. Delta released a flyer saying that the $700 we'd be spending on union dues could be better spent on video games. That's sad. Delta is a multi-billion dollar company that pays out their executives tens of millions per year, and they don't even pay a single cent in federal income taxes. Most of their part-timers, called ready reserves, don't have health care. The full-time Delta employees that are lucky enough to have coverage are subjected to high premiums and high deductibles. Many Delta employees have to work multiple jobs just to get by and no Delta employee has the dignity of a voice at work. So we are calling on Delta to respect their workers' right to stand united for a better and more secure workplace. Delta, do better, be better. Delta's ground workers, also known as ramp workers, have reacted by producing videos of their own. Hey everyone, this is Jay Robinson, JFK Ramp. I've just been made aware of a flyer that's circulating work produced by my employer that suggests that Instead of a union, uh, which provides things uh, at the unionized airlines, like uh, a grievance procedure, a safety committee, a bid committee, uh, lower medical costs, uh, no cap on ready reserves. Actually, union carriers don't have ready reserves. They have part-times, uh, but they're all part-timers, but they still have benefits. Uh, no cap on hours. And, of course, higher wages. Instead of uh, union dues, which can help provide those things, that I should spend that money on video games. 
Really? I've had my intelligence insulted before, so that's, that's nothing new, but this really takes the cake. Video games instead of a better career, better retirement. Uh, no, thank you. I'll pass. Give me a card. The 17,000 ramp workers are winning support from many people. Here is Robert Reich, a former U.S. Secretary of Labor, explaining the issues. I'm hearing a lot from my friends at Delta Airlines who are asking, why doesn't Delta want a union? Why don't they even want to let workers have an election? Apparently, Delta is pushing hard to keep its employees from getting an election through constant anti-union propaganda, harassment, intimidation of activist leaders. Now, there are a lot of issues here. 17,000 ramp and cargo workers in the United States, many of whom are called ready reserve with no health benefits, no pension or matching 401k, no vacation. Other Delta workers complain about lack of staffing and associated safety issues, arbitrary discipline, favoritism. Even senior full-time workers feel like they have a target on their backs because they know the company can fire them and hire two ready reserve workers in their place. Delta workers don't have a defined benefit pension like most unionized airline workers do. There's no job security protecting them from outsourcing. Work rules and other conditions of employment change often at the whim of Delta. Delta workers need a union. They deserve a union. They need a voice. They need to be free from this arbitrariness. So why doesn't Delta want a union? Hopefully, Delta workers will get one. The unionizing drive at Delta is being backed by the AFL-CIO, America's largest labor federation. At a recent IAM conference, AFL-CIO President Richard Trumka told the delegates the union drive at Delta is strongly supported by his federation. 40,000 ramp workers and flight attendants are going to join our movement for job security, for economic mobility, for fair treatment, for predictable schedules, for the right to bargain collectively and retire with dignity. Make no mistake, the AFL-CIO and the entire labor movement supports your effort. Your fight is our fight. Brothers and sisters, hear me loud, hear me clear. The machinists are going to win a union at Delta, and we will be there every minute of the time till we do. Winning a living wage for garment workers demands a new partnership between unions and clothing brands. See Marie Ainsborough reports. Ensuring that workers in the global garment-producing industries earn fair living wages is the goal of global unions such as Industrial. Industrial is the organization, along with UniGlobal Union, which negotiated the Bangladesh Fire and Building Safety Accord in 2013. The accord has ensured that not one worker has died in accord-covered factories since the program was started. Building on that success, Industrial has partnered with major clothing brands to address the question of wages. The initiative is called ACT, A-C-T, which is an acronym for Action, Collaboration and Transformation. It's a groundbreaking agreement between global brands and retailers and trade unions. It is aimed at transforming the garment, textile and footwear industries to achieve living wages for workers through collective bargaining. The executive director of ACT is Frank Hoffer. He was asked to describe ACT. ACT actually is a unique collaboration between international retailers and brands of the garment and textile industry and Industrial, which is the global trade federation of textile and garment workers. And what it wants to achieve is very simple. 
who wants to achieve better wages and better working conditions for workers in the garment-producing countries. The real challenge in most of the garment-producing countries is that there are far more workers than jobs. And the effect of this is that under conditions of market competition, wages are kept at poverty levels because workers feel they have no choice but accepting the jobs how they are offered. Now, if you want to change this, we need a systemic solution which creates a level playing field, which ensures that the wages are set for the industry as a whole. Biggest challenge for the industry as a whole is that the model which was used for many years is not sustainable. You cannot have an industry which wants to meet its human rights obligations and at the same time not having purchasing practices in place which allow for good working conditions and fair wages. This is Seamary Ainsborough reporting for Radio Labour. Here with his report about union events around the world is Labour Start correspondent Derek Blackadder. Here's a tiny sample of the hundreds of union news stories in 31 languages added to our site each day last week. Our top stories section included links to coverage of the union-led struggle for democracy in Sudan, a Tiananmen Square memorial organized by Hong Kong unions, and the labor movement's reaction to state attacks on the media in China and in Australia. We had news of strikes and lockouts in dozens of countries. Here are just a few highlights. Turkish bank workers began a wage strike this week. Portuguese courts experienced delays this week as justice workers began a slow escalation of their wage dispute. In New Zealand, hospital care attendants had to take job action to gain their area's living wage. The long-running walkout by the women who clean a large French hotel continued as the workers stuck to their workplace safety demands. Carpenters were locked out of a Hong Kong building site when they complained about wage theft. Teachers in Côte d'Ivoire suspended their strike to allow for further negotiations. In Belgium, public hospitals were hit by a strike in which workers refused routine tasks for a day. Brazilian dockers downed tools and picked up picket signs in a struggle for a wage increase and for improved job security. French workers at the world's largest Nutella factory won their demands after they walked off the job over wages and management harassment. Household gas supply workers in Uruguay were off the job this week in an open-ended wage strike. Reunion's emergency medical workers were refusing routine administrative work in their fight for a wage increase. Nurses in the Democratic Republic of the Congo held a three-day warning strike over wages and the provision of appropriate equipment and sufficient supplies. And a walkout over wages by Argentinian dockers brought the country's agricultural exports to a halt. Our top working women's stories included coverage of preparations for the national strike by women workers in Switzerland, scheduled for the 14th of June, a huge equal pay action in France by CGT members, and a significant court win in the battle for pay equality in the United Kingdom. The free health and safety newswire we offer in cooperation with Hazards magazine carried stories to hundreds of union websites around the world about the strike at a university in Senegal after a professor was beaten by students who had received low grades, assaults on library workers in several Canadian cities, and attacks on healthcare workers in several countries, including South Africa.
Currently, Labor Start is running three online actions. Take just a few seconds out of your day and join thousands of trade unionists around the world in helping workers make their lives better, or even help save those lives. This is Derek Blackadder from Labor Start, reporting for Radio Labor. Now, here are the workers with Let's Work Together. Let's Work Together was produced by Unison, the public sector union in the UK.
There used to be an agreement between the Caesars that they would all come and stay for three months and then go to wherever Caesars go and then where spot we are. Lately there has been no spring, no summer, and no fall. Politically and philosophically and psychologically, there has only been the season of ice. It is a season of frozen dreams and frozen nightmares, a scene of frozen progress and frozen ideas, frozen aspirations and inspirations. They call the season winter. We call the song Winter in America. Never had. 
Zoot Suit Boogie there with this. <clears throat> what did we say? The Cherry Poppin' Daddies from 1997. The Zoot Suit Boogie. And we'll get on to Zoot Suit in a minute. Before that, we had Gil Scott Heron, and we kind of celebrated Gil Scott Heron last week, an anniversary of his death, his classic Winter in America. It's Winter in America, Winter of Ideas, Winter of New Approaches. And before that, let's work together by uh, the workers name of their group as part of the uh, labor, radio labor show. Um, let's do one more. Played this one last week and I especially thought it was good. My father came from Japan in 1905. He was 15 when he immigrated from Japan. He, he, he worked until he was able to buy this back to build a store. Let me tell you a story in the form of a dream. I don't know why I have to tell it, but I know what it means. Close your eyes, just picture the scene as I paint it for you. It was World War II when this man named Kenji woke up. Ken was not a soldier. He was just a man with a family who owned a store in L.A. That day, he crawled out of bed like he always did, bacon and eggs with wife and kids. He lived on the second floor of a little store he ran. He moved to L.A. from Japan. They called him immigrant. In Japanese, he'd say he was called Issei. That meant first generation in the United States when everybody was afraid of the Germans, afraid of the Japs, but most of all, afraid of a homeland attack. And that morning, when Ken went out on the doormat, his world went black, cause right there, Front page news, three weeks before 1942 Pearl Harbor's been bombed and the Japs are coming Pictures of soldiers dying and running Ken knew what it would lead to, just like he guessed The president said, the evil Japanese in our home country would be locked away They gave Ken a couple of days to get his whole life packed in two bags Just two bags, couldn't even pack his clothes Some folks didn't even have a suitcase to pack anything in So two trash bags is all it gave them And when the kids asked mom, where are we going? Nobody even knew what to say to them Ken didn't want to lie He said the U.S. is looking for spies So we have to live in a place called Manzanar Where a lot of Japanese people are Stop it, don't look at the gunmen You don't want to get your soldiers wondering If you're gonna run or not Cause if you run then you might get shot Other than that, try not to think about it Try not to worry about it being so crowded But someday we'll get out Someday, someday Prisoners of war in their own damn country, what for? 
time passed in the prison town He wondered if he'd live it down If and when they were free The only way out was joining the army And supposedly some men went out for the army Signed on and ended up flying to Japan with a bomb That 15 kiloton blast put an end to the war pretty fast Two cities were blown to bits The end of the war came quick And Ken got out big hopes of a normal life With his kids and his wife But then they got back to their home And what they saw made them feel so alone These people had trashed every room Smashed in the windows and bashed in the doors Written on the walls and the floor Japs not welcome anymore And Kenji dropped both of his bags at his sides And just stood outside He looked at his wife without words to say She looked back at him wiping tears away And said someday we'll be okay Someday Now the names have been changed but the story's true My family was locked up back in 42 My family was there where it was dark and damp And they called it an internment camp When we first got back from camp uh, It was pretty, pretty bad I, I remember my husband said Oh, we're gonna stay till last Then my husband died before they closed the camp Got the fix since you're yeah, that was a repeat of, of something we played. Uh, we played um, last week, Kenji, singing about discrimination against Japanese Americans. So we've been talking about the Zoot Suit, quote-unquote, riots. Um And uh, what, what was this? This was in 1943, mainly in Los Angeles, but in cities all across the country. Um, servicemen, mostly white, uh, came through, for example, San Diego and Los Angeles, big shipping out places to go to the Pacific War. And... Um, the servicemen were pretty much allowed the run of the place, but they kept running into zoot suitors. At this time, uh, young people, Chicano, black, even some whites, dressed in a style called zoot suits. And, uh, well, let's listen. They can tell the story better than I can. 1943, the city of Los Angeles experienced one of the most significant episodes of racial violence in the 20th century, known as the Zoot Suit Riots. Racial tensions had been rising in the city and were made only worse by the biased reporting of the Los Angeles media. When a group of American sailors attacked a group of mostly Mexican Americans in East LA, the city exploded. In hindsight, this seemed inevitable. With many young men overseas as a result of World War II, labor in the United States was in short supply. So in 1942, the US government reached a deal with Mexico named the Bracero Program, which allowed some Mexican citizens to move to the US as temporary workers. Los Angeles already had a large Mexican-American population, but this new influx of workers provoked greater racial animosity. Much of the white population, whose views were echoed in the mass media, blamed Mexican-American teenagers and young adults for various issues in the city, especially crime. 
Even the way Mexican-Americans dressed angered the city's more conservative population. Many young Mexican-Americans started donning the zoot suit, a style that incorporated an oversized coat, pork pie hat, long chain, thick-soled shoes, and baggy pants. This fashion evolved out of Harlem nightclubs and was popularized by cultural icons like Duke Ellington and Cab Calloway. The suits themselves weren't inherently offensive, but in the context of World War II, they were. You see, during the war, wool had been rationed in order to make uniforms for the troops. The very manufacturing of zoot suits with their excessive use of fabric was banned, but a black market developed, and so those zoot suit-wearing Mexican-Americans, known as pachucos, were seen as unpatriotic. On the night of August 1st, 1942, Pachucos were involved in a brawl in a home near Los Angeles' Sleepy Lagoon. The next morning, the body of Jose Diaz was discovered nearby. The media and police quickly blamed the zoot suit-wearing 38th Street gang. Hundreds of Pachucos were rounded up regardless of affiliation. 22 were eventually found guilty for the Sleepy Lagoon murder in what was later considered a great miscarriage of justice. To some, the verdict was grossly unfair. To others, it confirmed what they already believed, that the zoot suit wearers were inherently violent. This all helped to create a powder keg bound to explode. A few months later, a group of 16 American sailors stationed in Los Angeles claimed they were verbally taunted by a group of Pachuco zoot suiters. Seeking retaliation, the servicemen took cabs over to the Mexican neighborhoods in East LA and started attacking those wearing zoot suits with makeshift weapons. The Pachucos were thrown into the street, their zoot suits torn off and burned on the spot. The ensuing riot continued to snowball over the following days. Violence spread to include both Pachucos and young African-American men. But instead of arresting the attackers, Police arrested the victims, supposedly for their own protection. By June 8th, the rioting had become so severe that all military personnel were banned from Los Angeles, and military police were brought in to subdue the attackers. Miraculously, no one was killed, but the impact of the Zoot Suit riots would reach far beyond the number of casualties. Once the dust had settled, Governor Earl Warren commissioned a report that was meant to paint Californians in a more positive light. Instead, the Independent Citizens Commission found the chief cause of the riots was racism. Naming the city's newspapers for encouraging the riots and the city government and U.S. military for allowing those riots to continue. Historians view the Zoot Suit riots as a culmination of anti-Mexican racism that had been building for years in Los Angeles, exacerbated by the stresses of World War II. The riots forced the country to face these problems head on and confront the systemic oppression faced by Mexican Americans in Los Angeles and throughout the country. Okay, that was a pretty good uh, summary of what went on. Uh, quote unquote, zoot suit riots. Well, who had rioted? The people who rioted were the servicemen. And they were pretty much allowed free reign to do as they please while the L.A. cops stood by. Um, 
Again, it was the victims who were arrested. And in the Sleepy Lagoon trial, uh, no one was never ascertained who had who had murdered Jose Diaz. But the trial was amazing. Even for a racist American court, it was uh, stipulated that the young men, the young Mexican-American men, had Aztec blood in their veins. And since the Aztec had practiced human sacrifice, uh, they were murderers and killers. A lot of, some of the Zoot suitors who were arrested or victimized were going to join the U.S. Navy or the U.S. Army anyway and serve overseas. Some of the most decorated troops in uh, World War II were Mexican-Americans, Chicanos. And when they came back from war, they realized that uh, they needed a movement to gain power to stand up and defend themselves as a community. And the famous case of a Mexican-American Medal of Honor winner being refused burial in a cemetery, a military cemetery in Texas, kind of uh, mobilized Mexican-American people. Okay, so that's... Uh, a zoot suit riots. Let's get on here with some. Let's get on with some. Um, here's labor history in two minutes. Listen up. Let's see if we're going to use this. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, the year was 1966. That was the day that the roaring of the jet age grew quiet across the United States. 35,000 members of the International Association of Mechanics went out on strike. During the strike, a large number of baggage handlers, food service workers, and other airport employees supported them on the picket lines. The mechanics worked for five of the nation's major airlines, Eastern, National, Northwest, Transworld, and United. The airline industry had undergone significant upgrades as it converted to the jet age. With that conversion came increased profits. By the end of 1964, the industry boasted a half a billion dollar surplus. The mechanics felt that they were not getting a fair share of the soaring financial gains. They wanted their wages tied to the rising cost of living. There was also a holdover of bad feelings due to the acrimonious negotiations with United in 1963. With the mechanics out on strike, passengers had to scramble to make alternative travel plans. A total of 230 airports were impacted. Newspaper headlines spewed anger at the striking workers. The Wall Street Journal declared, it is a strike against the public. Newsreel footage of the strike declared, at the height of the summer vacation travel season, air terminals are empty, barren caverns of space. After 20 days,
Johnson called both sides to the White House for a sit-down. After a long negotiation session, the president announced the sides had agreed to what amounted to a 4.5% raise. But the rank-and-file strikers shocked the president and the press by rejecting the settlement. The strike continued until August 19th. The final settlement gave the mechanics a 6% raise. Labor History in 2 brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow Follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in Two. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. In the past few years, you may have seen news stories about efforts to raise the minimum wage. From the Fight for 15 campaign to various state-based campaigns, raising the minimum wage has become an important campaign for workers. But do you know where in the United States the minimum wage started? Well, it began more than 100 years ago. And on this day in labor history, the year was 1912. Massachusetts passed the very first minimum wage law. Earlier that year, the Bread and Roses strike had brought national attention to the deplorable working conditions of women and children in the textile industry. This served as one of the motivating factors for the legislation. Massachusetts' new law only applied to women and child labor under the age of 18. In fact, it did not even set an actual minimum wage. Instead, it set up a commission to investigate the wages paid to employees in different industries. The job of the commission was to determine whether the wages paid to a substantial number of such employees are adequate to supply the necessary cost of living and to maintain the worker in health. From this beginning, the call for a minimum wage grew. 17 different states and cities followed Massachusetts' lead, passing their own minimum wage legislation. But these early laws were often challenged in the courts and ruled unconstitutional. It was not until more than a quarter of a century later, with the 1938 passage of the Fair Labor Standards Act, that a national minimum wage became a reality. The first national minimum wage in the U.S. was set at 25 cents an hour. The minimum wage reached its maximum buying power in the year 1968, and since then, the value of the minimum wage has steadily declined. Labor History in 2 brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to laborhistoryin2.com, like us on Facebook, and follow us on the Twitters at Labor History in 2. Okay, what's regarded as the, the first strike in the nation, the nation's first strike. I'm Rick Smith, and this is Labor History in Two. On this day in labor history, we're going all the way back to the year 1786. That was the day when what labor historians widely consider America's first strike occurred in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A group of the city's journeyman printers gathered to discuss proposed decreases to their wages. They issued a statement explaining their collective response. Resolve that we, the subscribers, will not engage to work for any printing establishment in this city or county under the sum of $6 per week. Their demand was for a dollar a day for a six-day work week. The printers went on to declare, resolved that we will support such of our brethren as shall be thrown out of employment on account of their refusing to work for less than $6 per week. 26 printers signed the declaration. This strike occurred just three years after the end of the Revolutionary War. Several of the strikers had taken up arms against the British, including William Price. Young, John Bushel, and Samuel LeCount. 
By joining together, the printers were able to stop the proposed wage cuts. It's important to note their pledge to support their brethren who might lose work because of the action. It was an early declaration of worker solidarity. Such solidarity has been an essential component in every successful strike in the United States for more than two centuries. The printers would go on to form the National Typographical Union in 1852. These printers played an important role in the early formation of unions and the struggle for workers' rights. The journeyman printers' actions were truly revolutionary and brought an important tactic, the strike to the U.S. labor struggle. Labor History in Two brought to you by the Illinois Labor History Society and The Rick Smith Show. For more information, go to Labor History in Two. That was our Labor History in Two Minutes. Um talking about a mechanic strike in 1969, airline mechanics. A little more about that because there's one or two going on right now. A little blurb about the minimum wage and the, the movement for a livable wage. And then America's first strike, printmakers, 1786. Remember, you're only alone when you don't stand up. And when you don't stand up, they'll count that you stood up for sitting down. Let's look at our credos. These are things we hold dear at Labor and Love Radio. And we try to repeat them as often as, well, each show. Credos are kind of things we believe in and want to share with you and want you to share with us, um, with me. And this is something by Utah Phillips. Kids don't have a little brother. Kids don't have a little brother working in the coal mine. They don't have a little sister coughing her lungs out in the looms of the big mill towns in the Northeast. Why? Because we organized. We broke the back of the sweatshops in this country. We have child labor laws. Those were not benevolent gifts from enlightened management. They were fought for, they were bled for, they were died for by working people by people like us. Kids ought to know that. That's why I sing these songs. That's why I tell these stories, damn it. No root, no fruit. Amen. As Utah Phillips said, was fond of saying, the most revolutionary thing there is, is a memory. When the penalty is, here's the second one, we resist. When the penalty for aborting after rape is more severe than the penalty for rape, that's when you know it's a war on women. Women. And you also know that when, in all the talk about rape, the man, the rapist, is not mentioned. Okay, the responsibility for the fetus, if a fetus develops, is 
on the woman. Man doesn't have to carry the, the fetus around. If they did, it, things would be different, I'll tell you that. Immigrants. This is Jesse Mimmer. Can I tell you a secret? I don't even care if they're undocumented immigrants in this country. Without social security numbers, they aren't privy to the welfare people claim they get. The vast majority are normal people trying to live a better life. This whole wall, deport the illegals, BS is just the 1% convincing the working people to blame a subset of the working poor for the fact that they're all poor. Instead of realizing the reason they are all poor is due to the vast income inequality and resource price inflation in combination with wages stagnation. Please use your brain. When you hear talk like this, realize how stupid it is. The existence of another poor person is not why you're poor. It's because of everything, because the people who control everything refuse to increase your wages. <laughs> you're poor because you're not making enough money. Huh? Okay, and this is for the folks who stand around and say that they're just not into politics. Well, you're just not that into politics. Your boss is, your landlord is, your insurance company is, and every day they use their political power to keep your pay low, raise your rent, and deny you coverage. It's time to get into politics. Okay, so those are our credos here on the Labor and Love Show. And uh, play some Bishop Bullwinkle. Take me a minute to find him. Well, let's let's go on the labor beat. First documented labor strike in San Francisco, June 8th, occurred when Chinese laborers demanded a raise while working on the Parrot Building. a Parrot Block Granite Building in San Francisco. A battle between the militia and striking miners in Dunville, Colorado, ended with six union members dead and 15 taken prisoner. 79 of the strikers were deported to Kansas two days later. That's what they would do. That's what they would do. They would move you the strikers in the uh, Kermagee 
struggle, the copper companies in Arizona and New Mexico. They would take strikers and just send, leave them out in the desert. You know, hoping they would die, basically. This is one that was mentioned in the uh, radio labor report. Now, okay, you want to talk about being respected? Okay. Delta Airlines. Delta Airlines is facing significant criticism after posters discouraging its staff from joining a union were widely shared online. Now, and they're saying you <coughs> you spend about 700 bucks a year in union dues. $60 a month. Delta suggests that a new video game system with the latest hit sounds like fun. So in other words, you're a dummy. We want you to be doing something inoffensive to us. We want you sitting on your ass and watching video games. Put that money towards a video game instead of paying dues to your union. The posters point to a website featuring Delta branding, which encourages workers not to unionize. The International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, which represents more than 110,000 airline employees, is attempting to organize union representation for 44,000 Delta employees. The day when Delta ramp workers and flight attendants will finally be able to bargain for that compensation benefits and work rules they deserve is coming quickly. And that has Delta terrified, as well they should be. How about another group? Now, American Airlines mechanics are threatening a strike if a new contract isn't negotiated and the union president has declared that the employees are prepared to dis dispute and erupt the bloodiest, ugliest battle that the United States labor movement ever saw. A statement comes just one day after the airline sued its union workers, claiming that they had engaged in an illegal work slowdown to strengthen their hand at the bargaining table. So I've got two groups here, two airlines merged, and two different unions were active, and uh, they've merged as well. So they've been they've been having uh, contract talks since December of 2015. Talks were suspended in April after reaching an impasse. In addition to issues of pay and benefits, the union is concerned that the company is potentially looking to outsource thousands of jobs. But in these times, 
the bloodiest, ugliest battle in labor history. Something to think about. Let's, uh, let's get, I want to play Bishop Bullwinkle. his take on uh, reality. Huh? Sitting in the county jail. It's a shame. A 
future I see people who's supposed to know better Standing around like furniture There's a war between you What you want, you got to leave it Tonight you got the power to take it Tomorrow you won't have the power to keep it West of Georgia East of America
Okay, so this is Labor and Love Radio signing off. Um, your host of Flat Black Plastic, Mr. <clears throat> Scott o. Walker, just arrived. With this mix of wisdom and good feeling. This is the beast signing off. Remember, if one person gets a dollar they didn't work for, someone else worked for a dollar they didn't get. Remember that if you don't have a seat at the table, the negotiating table that is where you work, you're on the menu. Never and never let anyone into your heart who is not a, not a friend of labor. And when I say labor, I mean you. Shout out to Sylvia, Solina, Vita, Nepo, everybody, Vita. Hello, you all know who you are. Tune in again next week on Mutiny Radio to Labor and Love Radio, or you can check out our archives and basically listen to any show, any copy of any show that you wish. Right. What you gonna do? They say you left to fuss and fight. Swimming through a sea of podcasts. Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk. MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shit-face McRat. <laughs> My friends out at Mutiny Radio. Chester Cashcock here, giving you my love and regards as well as Moofy's over there. And you know, anytime I go swimming in my vault of rare coins and piles and piles of filthy cash, 
I can't help but listen to Bamtastic's Comedy Clubhouse every Friday from 8 to 10. They have a fun time at Pamtastics Deep in the Mission where you can laugh off your tushy every Friday for a mere $10. And $10, I mean, that's what I use to wipe my tushy with, so to wipe it off for <laughs> is in duty this. And if you can't make it to Mutiny Radio, don't worry, don't fret at all. You can simply download the podcast post-show in the comfort of anywhere, like your Aspen Summer Cottage on the Mountain Ridge for the kayaks. <laughs> Just go to podcast.pcrcollective.org or mutinyradio.fm podcasts and look for Comedy Clubhouse with a K. You can download it for free. But we'd love to see you every Friday, 8 to 10, down here at Mutiny Radio. Laugh off your tushy and save your life. Because you know what's better than laughter? Well, it's a cash cock, baby. Stolowitz here. Have you ever listened to Labor and Love on Saturday mornings, 10 to noon with Bill Morgan? It's a really excellent show. One of my favorites here at the station. And it's all about service. It might be the devil, it might be the Lord, but we got to serve somebody. And Bill understands the virtue of service as the heart and soul of the labor movement better than a lot of people I know. And it's one of the reasons I love to listen to him. He breaks down socialism, democracy, protest history, workers' news, and the power of unions. Along with that, he serves up an excellent mix of jazz, Latin, gospel, hip-hop, and traditional folk ballads. Great stuff. Check it out. Labor and Love is every Saturday, 10 a.m. to 12 p.m. Serve somebody. Subliminal SF visual and auditory mind control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF 
is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. If you're looking for some delicious late-night food, I suggest you mosey on down to Bender's Bar. Inside, you can find Counter Offer, offering you amazing late-night food and snacks. Try the chicken biscuit. It's like your stomach's in a tasty tornado. They have exceptionally great daily ground sustainable burgers with sides of tater tots, grilled asparagus, and delicious zucchini and creamy delicious mac and cheese. You like tacos? Then get them! And from the specials, very deep fried fish sandwich to a stoner burger with a donut bun. What are those crazy potheads gonna come up with next? Go to the counter offer inside of Blender's Bar at 800 South Van Ness Avenue, San Francisco. It's located between 19th Street and 20th Street in the Mission District. Open seven nights a week from 5 to 10 p.m. or later. Counter offer, son! Welcome, Bender's Bar and Grill, located at 806 South Van Ness in the Mission District of San Francisco. Your favorite bar with awesome bartenders, rotating local art, and a killer back patio. It's a great place to hang out and play one of their two pool tables or old school pinball machine with a tasty adult beverage. Live music every Saturday for only $5, Bender's brings you face-melting metal and rock and roll. The last Friday of the month, Punk Rock and Schlock delivers super fun karaoke with Aileen. Come on, what's not to like? They even have counter offer inside, frying up the tots with sexy hot burgers for your face. Open every day at 2 p.m. Their happy hour goes till 7 p.m. Benders is proud to be a sponsor of the Mutiny Radio Comedy Festival because they're an awesome community asset to the dirtbags who keep art alive in the mission. Benders Bar and Grill. This is Tusser Matters with Mute in the Radio. Big up to the number one station that rule the nation. Give it to me every time. Ah! Billy Bob, you ever want to be funny? Well, my dogs think I'm funny, Daryl. Well, I mean, you ever want to be like in front of an audience? Like other than like squirrels, dogs, and dead persons? Oh, shit. From time to time, I've given it a thought of two. You know, if you go to joke workshop, there's more than two peoples paying attention to your jokes, and they ain't even gonna be jerks about it. Daryl, are you serious? I can get people to listen to my jokes? And they'll even say nice things to you before they tell you how to get improvements. Oh, no way. What is this, Daryl? 